Tom's got a fucking long ass story, so we're foregoing an we're, intro. We're gonna, yeah, we're just gonna dive right in. This is Media Majors, a storytelling podcast about medium major media. My name is Tom Lockney. I like to tell stories from the realms of video games and internet culture. And Liam Senior Movies TV. And you're going first. Yeah. Theme. Theme is closure, not in a good way. Yep. Well, just closure, because mine is about. Well, in 1966, following the success of the TV series... <laughs> you'll see. All right. Uh, following the success of his TV show, Gilligan's Island, a man named Sherwood Schwartz, because... His he, name wasn't Gilligan? Yeah, believe it or not. It was Sherwood Schwartz. He came up with... How the, fucking wild would that be if every story told with actors just was about that actor's name? They Sherwood just used Schwartz, the actor's name? That would be nuts. Sherwood Schwartz was not an actor. He was just a TV show guy. Mm. Uh, he read that 30% of L.A. marriages have a child or children from a previous marriage. He was like, this is a great idea for a pilot. And he came up with a show that was originally titled Mine and Yours about uh, a parent, each with three children, that remarried to have six children. <laughs> they retitled it to the... Brady Bunch? That's it. Hell yeah. Whoa, look, I knew something. Well, listen to Big Time Whoopsies to <laughs> figure out <laughs> that. To see that that's not true at all, that I don't know shit about fuck. Uh... Mike Brady is depicted as being a widower, but Carol Brady, they wanted her to be a divorcee, but the network thought that was too raunchy. So they decided to never reveal what she was. God forbid a woman has a divorce. Uh, it, but a man! Oh boy! Oh, he can have his wife die. It ran from uh, September 69 to March 74 on ABC. Nice. Uh, it went into syndication the next year, and it's basically stayed on television until like maybe 2016 and it's on three different streaming services now so it was like one of the most syndicated programs of all time uh it was a huge hit um to say the least and like it was on tbs in the 80s until 97 and then nick at night would rerun it and then teen nick for some reason would run it because for some reason teens really liked the brady bunch in the 90s i wonder i wonder if it all the was the goddamn pot they were smoking i wonder if it was because it was a show about divorced kids and or uh, ch uh children of divorce and i, I well no that's say... not true it's not because mike was a widower which means his, his wife died and we don't know what happened to carol I guess so. Yeah. So they are they are explicitly not children of divorce. Well, then I guess maybe it, maybe lots of kids with like maybe it was broad enough that it was lots of kids with like I don't even want to say atypical because like thirty percent means that it's not atypical. That's a lot of people. Well, thirty percent of mar uh, have have uh, children from other marriages. Yeah, yeah. And if yeah. you're a child, that's that's not atypical. I think it was all the pot they were smoking in the nineties. All right, I'm almost positive because it's an old sixties show. And if I know movies and TV shows, in the nineties you could smoke weed and watch things from twenty years ago. Mm -hmm. Can't uh, be earnest. We don't feel earnesty ever. Mm -mm, not Nothing. in the nineties. We don't flannel. There was a fucking uproar for this family of eight, nine including the maid, Alice. And um, they wanted more content. After the show was canceled, they kept doing spinoffs, movies, all this stuff. They could not let this show die. They could not get their closure. Mm -hmm. uh, here are some of the weirdest spinoffs of the Bradys. There was a half-hour Saturday morning cartoon called The Brady Kids that did not feature the parrots. Parents? Not in this world. They didn't have parents. They were running around free. Um, the, the kids' agents did not want them to do this, but they did it anyways. Like, they voiced the, the, themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, but by the second season, half of them dropped out and were replaced with the showrunner's own kids, because yeah. why the fuck not? Uh, 
Uh, they added a couple of new characters, and I'm not... Maybe you can tell me, Tom, do you think these characters were introduced in uh, Brady Bunch proper? Marlin, an intelligent red talking bird that was also a wizard. Uh, that sounds definitely like uh, like one of the OG cast members of the Brady Bunch. I feel like it is. Uh, Mop Top, uh, <laughs> who was their dog, who could also talk, and then two twin panda cubs named... Ping and Pong, because gotta get a little Jesus racism in there. Christ! Just a teeny bit. Uh, the pandas also only spoke in what the internet referred to as Chinese-like gibberish, which Whoa. is terrible. That bad. That, that bad indeed. It ran for two seasons, because that's how starved of Brady-based content people were. And the show is still on at this point. So this was just like, we gotta make more. Add in a talking wizard bird and some racism. They also created human characters, but who cares? They had a wizard bird. Someone thought that was a good idea. Mm -hmm. Then there was the dramedy? Dramedy? Dramedy. Uh, dramedy of the show. Basically, hey, what if the Brady Bunch were an hour-long show, all grown up, and they dealt with things like death and grief and running for political office oh fuck uh that show went five called, episodes and it was called parenthood it was just called this is really boring uh there was the variety show in 1976 called the brady bunch variety hour the idea behind that was that the brady bunch proper was a documentary about how interesting this family was and they were so popular that they got a variety show that mm -hmm. they would perform every night or not every night, but whenever they would be on. And it would just be them singing songs. Like, they would just do covers of songs for an hour. And it ran for, like, nine episodes before people were like, oh, like this a, is dumb. That feels like a lot of work to put into... Oh, huge work. And it was a live stage show. Oh, boy. Wow. It was also uh, created by the guys who came up with, like, H.R. Uh, uh, Puffin stuff and the Lost... Land of the Lost, which were all, like, puppet-based shows. Well, you just said two things that went right over my dang head. People know what I'm talking about. But the craziest bit of closure with the Brady Bunch was that the Brady house, using the exterior shots, was being foreclosed on by both the bank and the kids who used to live in it because they don't want it anymore. Lance Bass made a bid for $1.8 million for it and still did not get it, and it was eventually bought by HGTV for reasons that no one is sure of. Wait, so they haven't used it at all? Nope, they just own it. That's incredibly bizarre. That money is... That's bad. That's terrible. They just own... They, well, just, they just own an empty house. That yeah, they just own that, an empty that house. That somebody could live in. And, and it's in... Am California. I, it's in, is it in San Francisco? Uh, no, I believe it's in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Yeah. But hey, you know what? Still... There's, yeah, there, people could, there's, there are, there are people a lot of people houses. who could use a house in Los Angeles. Um, but yeah, so that is the lack of closure around the Brady Bunch. Ugh. We'll be right back. Add. Let's do this. This isn't going to be Bowsette, is it? That's next week, right? <laughs> you fucking, you nailed it, Liam. I, I just, because I've had, like, I've had to not follow, I've had to uh, mute a lot of stuff on Twitter because I don't want to know what Bowsette looks like. People ask me, why should I listen to your podcast? Because there's like 
10 million X-Files podcasts in there, I say, one, we give great commentary. Because all those other X-Files podcasts, they're just like fucking masturbating over Chris Carter's creation. Yeah. Number two, we will make you come. <laughs> Whether you like it or not. Yeah, it's going to happen. Well, We're- We'll hit a button sooner or later. Yeah, we're, you know what? We're going to cover so many fucking hot topics, and one of them, someday, going to be yours. Gonna and be you yours. might not even know it. You'll be sitting there listening, you'll be like, oh, damn. I completed, and I didn't even know that was my thing. Five stars. <laughs> Review, please. Catch the Double X Files Tuesdays at noon on your favorite podcast app. Baby, we'll treat you so right. I'd like to begin my story with a quick note. There is an incredibly good Verge article by Megan Farokmanesh, uh, from which a, a decent amount of the information I'm about to describe comes from. I recommend everybody read it. It is called Toxic Management Cost and Award Winning Studio Its Best Developers. LucasArts is a video game publisher and licensor, but for a time they were also a development studio. In the late 80s, they began to center development on adventure games, one of gaming's most important and unique genres, in my opinion. Uh, do you, video game genres are kind of amorphous, do you know what I mean when I say adventure games? Uh, since I thought a roguelike was a game where you had to sneak about, <laughs> uh, why don't we just... I assume that it's a game where you go on an adventure. Adventure games are... in the the like format has kind of expanded but the traditional viewpoint of it is like oh it's point and click there's a screen that your character walks onto and you click around on items that you can interact with you have a verb set i mean all games have a verb set but like you are literally given like verb sets like click on a phone listen touch oh okay so some like, comedically will have like lick or something like that pajama sam is this an adventure game i don't know I think I like like. Did you ever play like any Pajama Sam, Papa Tetsuzu, Sly Fox? Not recently enough to know necessarily. It's all like click. There, yeah, yeah, that's that's an adventure game. Um, Mist. Yes, Mist is Mist is an adventure game. It's a specific type of adventure game. It's in the first person, so like it does different things with the format. But you you get what I'm saying. Like Moby Dick. (laughs) Mist is the Moby Dick of video games. LucasArts and the adventure genre flourished in the 90s, churning out hit after hit, Dave the Tentacle, Full Throttle, Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis, and, most importantly, Sam and Max hit the road. Unfortunately, genre burns bright and fast in the world of video games, and the adventure genre begins to suffer. There are lots of reasons for this that I'd like to talk about one day, because I think because I think the, de- the, the like, quote-unquote death of an adventure games is, like, very fascinating, because, like, it's kind of a misnomer, and also... Uh, people seem to blame adventure game puzzle logic specifically there, there's a uh, blog post that people point to on a website called old man Mir- murray which is not smart or intelligent or even good criticism but it, it's angry criticism and it's kind of like e- like an even earlier progenitor to like i'm a nerd who talks about video games oh, i'm mad about all of them um that blames a specific puzzle from gabriel knight three uh, they, they are wrong, but here's the, the fast version of what happened at LucasArts. Essentially, the increasing demand for a certain type and style of graphical fidelity raised the cost of development for these types of games. You can actually see this manifest in the aforementioned Gabriel Knight 3, which infamously made a switch to some 
ugly 3D graphics in an attempt to like create a uh, check mark on a bullet point on the back of a box and the game suffered for it. Essentially, big companies no longer saw adventure games as a viable way to achieve their profit margins. Despite seeing the writing on the wall, LucasArts continued to greenlight projects well past when they reasonably should have. Uh, one of these projects was Sam and Max Freelance Police. Development started in 2002, the game was canceled in 2004, and LucasArts shut down its entire adventure game development entirely, laying off the Sam and Max team. Uh, I don't know much about the exact condition of these layoffs vis-a-vis -vis severance, unpaid overtime, or any fiscal layoff deals, but I can tell you that this was avoidable, didn't have to happen. This was a company re misreading the market and mismanaging their projects. Gabriel Knight 3, the, the Old Man Murray blog post came out in 2000, which means that two years after uh, uh, Gabriel Knight, or two years after that post, talking about a game that came out in 1999, uh, and that post is literally titled, like, Who Killed the Adventure Game Genre? Um, it's called Gabriel Knight? Gabriel Knight. With who, a K? Yeah. Okay. It, it's, it's the character's name. So I thought it was like, this is the night when all the Gabriels won, run wild. Yeah, but there, but there's it, it, there's no reason that you should be greenlighting adventure games two to three years after shit like this goes down if you and the gaming culture think that they're not going to be able to, to, to sustain salaried positions. This is poor management, pure and simple. This is not like, oh, like we're an ind independent studio and we're like creating something that's a little niche, but we can you know live within our means and we know that there's a market that we can appeal to and that can fund our game this is like a big fucking studio being like i know that we have all considered adventure games dead for several years now but why don't we throw our huge team at it we can pay for this right absolutely not are you kidding me from these layoffs telltale was born Founded in June 2004 by LucasArts expats, Telltale decided to manage themselves well and sustainably. First, they released a poker game titled Telltale Texas Hold'em. It was primarily a test of their in-house game engine, Telltale Tool, though they also wisely deployed it as a money-making opportunity. Smart business. They would cut their teeth, as many new game dev studios do, as a licensed-focused developer releasing two games based on the Bone comic book series, oh. as well as several CSI games. <laughs> It's also awesome. Yeah. That's fucking so good right? and so funny about what they end up doing. It's also important to note that these games were structured episodically, or at least were meant to be. The CSI games were released as a full product. They were, even though they were, the storytelling was structured episodically, it was like, hey, you buy this retail version, it has all the episodes. Yeah! Did they have that from the opening? I would imagine that they did. Fuck yeah. Uh, and while more Bone episodes were in the works, they were canceled. Uh, it's important to note because of Telltale's style of game development and release, though it was still in its infancy at this stage, uh, that these games were not released as intended. In 2005, they attempted to purchase the rights to Sam and Max Freelance Police from LucasArts, but were rebuffed. I don't even know why. They're like, like, like property holders of ip are are greedy and are like well i know that we're not making money off of this but god forbid someone else does Ugh. fortunately sam and max series creator steve purcell gave them the rights to make more original sam and max properties that were not tied to freelance police and so sam and max season one was born this was the first game of theirs where they entered lockstep with an episodic release format releasing on a monthly schedule 
The season was a success, cementing Telltale's reputation in the industry as well as their release format and gained them clout as developers who could be trusted with higher tier licensed properties. I think that's important to note since at this time licensed games had a reputation for it. Shitty, shitty, being shitty. So goddamn bad. And so Telltale was looked at as something of an anomaly. Now, Sam and Max, is that the one where the dog wears the gray suit and yeah. the little hat? And there's that fun little rabbit. Are those good games? Yes. Yes, right. they're really good. Actually, I think that they hold up incredibly well. I was worried that this was going to be a bonkers bad fur day situation where I always just assumed because I heard it was funny and good. It was funny and oh, good. boy, but upon... conkers bad fur day. Fucking blows. Did I say bonkers? You said bonkers. It's conkers. Already, something's wrong in Denmark. That's that line, right? They hit it big in 2010 after securing the license to Back to the Future, which they actually had uh, Biff Tannen, uh, the original actor, do voice work in that. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. He's not doing much. Uh, he, Sorry, I love that guy. Yeah, it was really mean. They released a well-received season that sold pretty well and put them at the center of the gaming spotlight. They what hit, year was this? Uh, 2010. And and so, yeah, so Telltale releases this thing, and everybody's like, wow, like they're doing really good. Like, Was it was it just the movie, like, no, 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 no. Like they it... told a original story. Cool. That's what I thought. That just seems very them. Uh, they had a misstep in 2011 with Jurassic Park, which is considered to be one of the worst in Telltale's lineup. They, it should also be noted that they worked on numerous side projects as well, such as Poker Night at the Inventory, a, another poker game, but instead this featured numerous licensed characters from Valve properties, as well as other IPs like Homestar Runner. Like, strong bads in it what yeah 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 they 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 released a an entire uh it's it's called i believe strong bads uh saves the zoo this cool game for excellent people or something That's like that very fun uh but the telltale that came to be the superstars of the industry industry truly came forward with the release of 2011's the walking dead yep that wouldn't call all of telltale's previous work cut and dry adventure games specifically like jurassic park and back to the future which you can see is clear stepping stones between more classic adventure games like sam and max their modern work the walking dead was a departure it had a heavy emphasis on direction the cinematic and like i think a lot of adventure games do that but less so uh merged with i i call it gameplay i know it's like quick time events and there's like stupid purists out there who are like this is not gameplay but like you're you're interacting at the time I if somebody can come up with a more useful term for that, then then I think it's gameplay. If it if you don't think that's gameplay, then what do you think playing checkers is like? It's just a. It's it's you're a, thinking. It's, they're thinking you see too, a button on the screen and you react. There is that's there's, gameplay. Yeah, there's a there is a level of interaction there. Sorry that it doesn't shoot a gun. This was achieved through, like I said, quick time events and dialogue choice dependent storytelling progression rather than the classical adventure style game of puzzle solving progression. It was a critical and commercial hit selling a million copies in 20 days, capturing the attention of gamers everywhere. The Walking Dead received countless awards and nominations and is, in my opinion, an incredibly important and significant work. Uh, this, well, like, I don't think we would have gotten like life is strange wouldn't wouldn't exist without the walking dead it wouldn't have been greenlit without the walking dead do you think that like is what remains of Edith finch kind of an adventure game no no i it's it's not um but i do think that it's got adventure that there is a level of independent storytelling and cinematic that became more commercially viable because in partly in thanks to games like the walking dead like i think obviously 
what remains of Edith Finch probably owes more to games like Gone Home, mm. but uh, like uh, like I I think that The Walking Dead helped serve as proof positive that you didn't need a triple A studio to make a like story that would land in the mainstream. Gotcha. Uh, this had effects go- both good and bad. First, the bad, despite the game's resounding success, key members of the creative team behind it left to create their own studio, Campo Santo, shortly what, thereafter. What, what, what? And, and also, there's there's another studio I'm going to talk about in, uh, later. Sources within Telltale said that this was due to clashes with one of the original co-founders, a man named Kevin Bruner. He apparently clashed with the creative leads on The Walking Dead Season 1 and after the game's success. No zombies, only vampires! <laughs> wanted to be seen as a design auteur. Oh, no. Evidently, he was very adamant that these projects and future projects be treated as his creative no. vision. No! Run away! Hey, we here at Media Majors want to remind you that auteurism is a sign of sociopathy. It, 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 reflects, it, it reflects toxicity and perpetuates it. Yeah. Um, because it gives egotists a label to strive towards and a like i want to call it like almost like a systemic lexicon that uh uh, treats them with more gravitas than they earn and deserve based off of like the labor that is actually being put into games and enables ludicrous behavior yeah uh this ended up driving talent off from the studio, and when development teams comprised of former Telltale devs such as Campo Santo or Night School Studios released successful games, Firewatch and Oxen Free, respectively, hey! he responded by tightening his grip on Telltale. So, like, he uh, clearly like Bruner, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is this is specifically stuff that comes from Megan Farokmanesh's article. It seems that he was insecure about other people's success uh, from who were Telltale expats, and that. Uh, fed into his toxic management of Telltale. Mm. He categorically denies these claims, but sources from within Telltale p- paint the picture of a man obsessed with his own creative control, going so far as to write even like tutorial text. Which, like, if you can't trust, if you can't trust game developers at your at this point like prestige indie studio to uh, write tutorial text, then I don't know. That's that's fucking that's weird. Telltale continued on with its momentum, tripling their team size and acquiring license after license at breakneck pace. Game Batman, of Game of Thrones, Fables, Borderlands, Minecraft, Guardians of the Galaxy, all while continuing to churn out content for The Walking Dead. Golden Girls. <laughs> A company simply cannot undergo such rapid growth and take on so many projects at once without suffering immensely. A quick note on how license acquisition works, at least in games, money-wise. This comes from Mike Futter, a games journalist whose best work picks apart the money side of video games. To acquire a license, you need to acquire licensing approvals, a guaranteed minimum upfront calculated on anticipated sales, and a licensor royalty paid after the minimum is met. That's so much fucking money. Telltale presents that 70s show. (laughs) This Stupid means, joke. This means that Telltale was dumping an extremely large amount of money into acquiring these projects, some of which historically just didn't land or do well, as in the case of, like, Bones or Jurassic Park. And, and that's the other thing about a episodic format is, like, if that first episode gets out and it don't do well, 
you've uh, already you've already committed to five more episodes and like there's the, obviously some stuff uh hey spoilers telltale shut down <laughs> um but when telltale was still active like they hadn't done a another season of uh, fables property the wolf among us in years and years and years and and they Game very, of Thrones do well? Uh, I don't think it did. Yeah. Batman did well. Mm. Did it not? Well, we're, I'll get to it. Much of these licenses were acquired in the mid-2010s, and to compensate for the workflow, devs would rotate from project to project, which ultimately harms final projects. I can, I can speak to myself uh, to this myself, actually. I, I, through, I work in localization, and and it's, I think, a little easier for us. We have tools that are specifically there so that way we can make sure that we are uh consistent within the term terminology of a game to another game as we're swapping between projects but like when you're churning through different ips at a really rapid pace it can get kind of confusing and it can it, it will hurt your, the final product additionally the staff was underpaid uh making below the industry standard a problem compounded by the high cost of living in san francisco telltale's area of operation crunch also was of course happening across the studio with devs being forced to work 14 to 18 hour days now that's crazy because there's only 24 hours in a day mm -hmm. and my math's right that means they should pay their uh employees oh boy that's, that's the solution i got they sure should have uh, you can check you, you check my work tom i'm gonna get i'm, I'm also gonna get into that later and also like they shouldn't it like I, it doesn't fucking matter if you're getting paid for 18 hour days you shouldn't have to work 18 hour days you should be able to work the minimum amount of days and be paid a livable wage and and your project should be managed wisely enough that you're not if you fall asleep literally the second at the end of your 18 hour day and you wake up after six hours of sleep immediately and get working like 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 seriously that's not healthy you're sleeping at the office and you're not getting enough sleep and you're staring at a fucking screen all day it's evil crunch is evil mm -hmm. though this was a problem before kevin bruner came became ceo in 2015 he didn't do much to change things his time as a ceo uh his time as ceo was not long he stepped down in 2017 leaving the company which was not a great sign even worse sign, he was replaced by Pete Hawley, the former VP of games at Zynga, an infamously exploitative company whose leadership was often embroiled in shady financial controversy. rut -row. In November of 2017, Telltale cut 90 people a full quarter of their staff. Quick math note here, because it's going to be significant later. 90 is a quarter of 360, meaning that there's about a remaining 270. In 2018, Bruner sues Telltale, saying that since he has been removed from the board of directors, he no longer had financial access to see what his shares were worth if he wanted to sell them. Boo-hoo. Oh, no. You're not going to be super fucking wealthy. It doesn't matter to me. I don't have shares in anything. You're, you, you're speaking Latin at me, cut, and cut, Yeah, cut sympathy for CEOs out of your, uh, I don't know, empathetic approach to the world and people. Telltale claimed the, called these claims meritless, though a judge outright rejected this claim, believing that Bruner's case held merit. Which, which honestly, like, Telltale definitely didn't have the money at this time, but this is just a, a greedy company, a greedy administration and company. And when I say company, I want to make clear that I'm uh, trying to distance the devs from this because I'm, I'm speaking about this from a financial standpoint, because clearly the devs were underpaid they're, they're the ones who are not making the money and they're not 
uh, reaping the fruits of their labor. Ugh. The same month, uh, oh, okay, although, okay, the lawsuit is actually no longer happening for reasons that will become clear. The same month Brunner leveled his lawsuit, Telltale announced a partnership with Netflix saying that they were working on a yet untitled game based off of Stranger Things, another license acquisition. Then, two days ago, on September the 21st, nope, three days ago, Telltale Management announced that they were laying off 90% of their staff, a number that they claim to rest at 225, although numerous victims of the layoffs on Twitter have claimed that the number is closer to 250, which fits closer to the 270 figure, given the fact that there is only a skeleton crew of 25 people remaining to work on the company's Minecraft game. That game will be bad, and it will not be their fault. Though The Walking Dead's final season is currently mid-release, it seems unlikely that the Telltale devs' hard work will be finished, and also, despite this, they're still selling season passes because the people who run Telltale, Pete Hawley, are evil, and they do not feel empathy for people, and they would like to rob uh, both m mostly laborers but also consumers of their money in a in a incredibly shady naked attempt to get out with as much as they possibly can. Evidently, the first season of The Walking Dead and Minecraft were the only two profitable titles, so says an internal source communicating with games journal Joe Parlock. Apparently, actually, Batman was one of their biggest commercial flops. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, oh, cause, and part of it, I think, is because it was not received very well. I've not played it, so I can't speak to it, but I do know that it, was, that it received uh, middling uh, reaction upon release. Pete Hawley released a mealy mouth, poor, poor me, poor company, we're so sorry, uh, statement, which is terrible. Quote, it's been an incredibly difficult year at, for Telltale as we worked to set the company on a new course. Unfortunately, we ran out of time trying to get there. We released some of our best content this year and received a tremendous amount of positive feedback, but ultimately that did not translate to sales. With a heavy heart, we watch our friends leave today to spread our brand of storytelling across the games industry. That's not good. They should be they should be getting to have their brand of storytelling at Telltale. By the way, I, I would imagine if you looked at Pete Hawley's salary, you could look at it and say that could have saved people's jobs. It could have, you know, at least guaranteed them severance pay, which they didn't get. Nope. Uh, maybe a better deal on healthcare expires within a week. Uh, others affected affected by the layoffs have also spoken to the many hours of unpaid overtime that they worked, which is a fucking crime. It's an illegal crime. Y if you're working overtime and you're not getting paid, that's a crime. That's a crime. Several employees were contract employees and are therefore ineligible for unemployment. Some were part of student programs. Others had been hired. Literally, th there were stories that, that some people had been hired within one fucking week. If your company is that uh, financially troubled... You can't hire people. And you're hiring people, that's evil. You're you're hiring people so that way you can exploit their labor and then dump them after squeezing what little you can out of them, fucking them over. Some people had actually relocated across the country to do this. People have fucking kids. And again, they're living in San Francisco, one of the most expensive cities to live in in the entire fucking country. This is fucking evil. This is evil. There's no excuse for this. They need to be guaranteed severance pay. It's fucking illegal for people to not have severance pay in the UK. It's not illegal or it's not illegal in the US because the US is incredibly hyper-capitalist, like even more so than other countries. It's exploitative as fuck. And and frankly, I think Pete Hawley should have his personal bank account uh, stripped from its money so that way it can pay these people whose lives will be ruined because he's going to be fine. 
Him and, him and all the other fucking money makers at, at Telltale. It's evil. It's evil what they're doing. Game Workers Unite has released a statement. I would recommend everybody go read it and check out the links and resources provided. Much of Games Twitter is helpfully linking to open industry positions in order to help those affected. The best way to find those is to search the hashtag, hashtag Telltale Jobs on Twitter. But that's not enough. As many have pointed out, numerous companies offering their jobs partake in the same harmful practices as Telltale and will one day force their workers, not their managers, to reckon with them. We must unionize, advocate for better business and employment practices, and gut the money makers of this industry. Is there no devs union? No. That's fucked up. I, 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 I'm not savvy to one. Game Workers Unite is a advocacy group and not a union. That's what I assumed. I'm assuming that there's no, Are there any big video game industry unions they tried to unionize at i believe it was i might be wrong sierra but i do know that it was in the 80s and and it was shut down video games is like one of the most incredibly hyper capitalist industries people hold very little power and and hopefully we can change that and hopefully this is a wake-up call for that because uh, i mean like literally like telltale began in incompetent management because of layoffs which were exploitative and easily avoidable and it and it ended there too and this is this is literally okay this month we've seen a shutdown not only of telltale i think i think telltale was given a lot of attention because they are a sort of darling of the industry but we also had carbine studios close as well as capcom vancouver that's nearly that's that's 500 about games jobs gone in a month because of the incompetence, greed, and negligence of corporate admin, plain and simple. The, just j within a week, because of Vancouver and Telltale, over 400 jobs. Unbelievable. Unionize, 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 because if we don't, it'll just keep happening over and over and over and over and over again. And we have to change things. That's my story. If you want a more lighthearted uh, thing to cleanse yourself from that, that's Telltale related. Uh, lots of former and well, they're all former now, I guess. Um, Telltale developers have been posting under Telltale Memories or Telltale Moments. Uh, nice things from their time at that studio and, and work that they were proud of, despite the unfair, evil conditions that they were forced to work under. Whew! What's crazy is this totally eclipsed the story I thought you were going to tell, which is that poor Toad from mario kart has had to hide his head in shame and will never be seen again um at the end of every episode we do the self-care corner to cleanse ourselves um it's a nice part where we just talk about a nice thing that happened in our days and our weeks and our lives liam what's yours looking at these runes man Is... there are seven runes in front of me yeah no, I was just I just wanted to say that because the entire podcast I, I would just be like, I'm not wearing a shirt right now. Yeah, I got it a, was very distracting. I got I'm a glad new, I went first. I got a new tattoo this weekend, and it's of a bunch of bloodborne runes. I, I think you should just say I got a bunch of goddamn runes on my chest. I got a bunch of goddamn runes in my chest, and I look a wiki witchy as shit. <laughs> look, you look Wikipedia. Hell yeah! You got all the symbols on the Wikipedia globe when you log onto Wikipedia tattoo on your chest. It's very nice. I'm very happy with how it turned out. 
<laughs> yeah, you've got people ye- uh, yelling random questions about movies at you all day. <laughs> uh, what's an actual? What's what's a what's the self care corner in my bag? You say? Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, the, the end of sentence. All right. I got nothing. I'm tired. It's That's been a very okay. long day. Yeah. This is the second podcast I've recorded today. It mm-hmm. probably shows. I'm a little tired. I'm also on crunch, so. It's a new drug. Unionize. I did that joke last week. Hey, everybody. Unionize. Um, thanks for listening, everybody, to Media Majors. You can email us at mediamajorspodcast at gmail.com. And you better hurry because I think we're both about to die. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at mediamajorscast. Um, you can send me an email of what you think Sonic's feet looks like at mediamajorspodcast at gmail.com. Or just tweet at Liam. Or tweet it, yeah. Fucking find me. Fucking find me. Seriously, someone find me. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week. And as always, Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major.